been a pleasure to be with you this morning, to have the opportunity to speak this morning. Uh, for some of you, you have no idea who I am. That's okay. I don't know who I am half the time also. Um, real quick introduction. My name is Drew Berryessa. I'm on the teaching team uh, here at Living Waters. And Ryan asked me to come and do this particular teaching in the kind of foundation series that we're going through. And this morning, I'm just going to tell you the topic right off the bat, and I'm going to pray you don't flee. <laughs> this morning, we're talking about kingdom finances and the collective groan. Yes. And some of you are thinking, I can't believe I showed up here and it's sunny out on this Sunday weekend and he's going to talk about money. And, um, you know, some of you are like bracing yourself for the guilt. Some of you are just like going, I don't even know what to expect from this. But what I want to say right now before I even get started into the teaching is um, I just want to run a real quickly bless all of you to have whatever emotions you're having when it comes to the topic of money, because it is okay to have mixed emotions about this topic. And it is okay to let whatever's gonna come up, come up because um, this is a hard topic and it triggers a lot of people. However, that said, I am excited that this morning I actually get to give you what I think will probably be a very, very different and life-giving message than a lot of you have ever heard in church on the topic of money. So if you are feeling like you wanna flee before we even get started, can I encourage you not to? I mean, you're looking kind of deadpan at me right now. Can I encourage you not to flee? Everyone okay not fleeing? Because I'm going to watch and I'll see you. Um, so as we get into this, first and foremost, why, 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 God, why are we talking about finances on a Sunday morning? Well, first and foremost, uh, Living Waters, uh, one thing that we seek to be is we seek to be a family. And healthy families talk about uncomfortable things. We talk about uncomfortable things all the time here at Living Waters. Whether you're a healthy family and a family unit, if you're a part of the Berryessa family, you know we talk about everything all the time. There are no off-limits conversations. And as Living Waters is also a family, we talk about uncomfortable things all the time. And that is not going to stop. And so it just so happens that as we are walking through this Foundations series, because there's a lot of new people here at Living Waters, which is amazing. And we recognize that although we've taught this before here, it's been a while. It's been a couple years since we talked on this topic. And some of you have never heard this, and some of you need to be reminded. And so we're going to talk about finances. So before we do that, um, I want to remind, if you weren't here last week to hear Ryan's talk, uh, I want to remind us as we're walking into this foundations teaching uh, some context. So the first thing that we need to remember in context, if you were here for Ryan's teaching last week, if you weren't, I'd encourage you to go find it on the stream, on YouTube, on the website. Listen to it. It is very important, and it provides a good context for what we are talking about today. But first and foremost, uh, as review, we are New Covenant believers and we are a new covenant church, not new covenant theology. That's a whole different thing. But we are new covenant believers, which means that Christ has, has come and given us a new covenant. And 
when we when we read the the Bible, especially as we're reading the New Testament, uh, something that Ryan pointed out last week, which is really important again for context, is that the New Testament was written in this time where the old covenant was passing away and the new covenant was being inaugurated. So there's this tension because in the in the in the Gospels and in the accounts of the New Testament and the epistles, we see this tension sometimes existing between the old covenant law, which was operating. Uh, in the Jewish nation for years and years and years and years and years, and this new inauguration of the new covenant that brought with it a whole lot of freedom and a whole lot of difference. And so sometimes when we as modern day believers are reading back into the gospels and into the epistles, we catch some of that tension point that is the the mixing or the tension between those two covenants. And unfortunately, sometimes that settles into our modern day churches because it's written in that, in those gospel accounts. And Unfortunately, what can happen is then we get this mix of old covenant belief and new covenant belief into modern day churches, and it has no place in in church now because we are not old covenant believers. Amen? So one of the places that this creeps into quite profoundly is in the topic of finances. And so I'm going to say a word some of you are going to have a reaction to it. That's okay. This is a safe space. Because today we are talking about tithing. <laughs> tithing. Before I go on um, too f much further, I want to say this. Tithing is biblical. But it is no longer a biblical mandate that we must live under. Tithing in the Old Testament, the purpose of the tithe was giving of the tenth of what you had and your resources to meet the material needs of the Levite priesthood, also the stranger, the fatherless, the orphan, and the widow. You can see this in Deuteronomy 26, verses 12 through 13. It says this, When you have finished setting aside a tenth of all that you produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Then say to the Lord your God, I have removed from my house the sacred portion, and have given it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all you command. I have not turned aside from your command, nor have I forgotten any of them. You know, in, in the Old Testament, the tithe was not just an expression of gratitude to God by his people, but it, but it was the acknowledgement that God owned everything and that every resource was his anyway, and so we gave back to him. And it was essential in the structure of how the nation of Israel worked and operated because they, they lived and worked in a very different system than we do now. And the tithe went to things that would take care of the orphan, take care of the widow, take care of the priesthood, which in a lot of ways was their governmental system. You know, we, we tithe to our government, not joyfully or, you know, happily or freely, you know, I remember the first time I got a paycheck, I said, who's this FICA and why is he taking my money? It's a line from a TV show. Anyway, you know, part of that structure back then was to provide for the, the functioning of the nation. And it was essential and it was essential for the priesthood to function. And so because of that, you know, there was a wildly different context than what we live in today as New Testament believers, as New Covenant believers who come into church like this on a Sunday morning to learn the Word of God, to worship together. 
But unfortunately, sometimes this concept of give your tenth and give it to the priesthood and give it all this has crept into our experiences as Christians. And today we're going to dismantle that harshly a little bit, but lovingly. Um, and we're going to expose some stuff that may, uh, quite honestly, we may have some emotional and some 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 reactions to. And I want there to be space as we walk through this to deal with those things. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, in that old covenant belief system where the tithe was operating to help the nation function, this was this was really important. And this was serious to God and this was serious to the people, which is why we have scriptures that reference back the seriousness and sobriety of this, like Malachi 3, 8 and 9, which says, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. We see scriptures like that, Malachi 3, 8 and 9. Because back in the Old Covenant, this was very important, and it was part of providing for not only the priesthood, but, but again, the alien, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow. This was important to the heart of God. But we also see in, you know, the inauguration of the new church in the new covenant in Acts 5, we see this, which sometimes these scriptures go hand in hand when pastors get up to preach on giving, as if it is giving when it's compelled like this. The, the cheerful story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. I mean, not to step on it, but let's just for a second... Because I remember a time as a young man in church, you know, and I, I'll be honest with you, I, did, I didn't grow up necessarily in church. I had a long season of my childhood where I wasn't involved in church. And then when I went back to church as a teenager, I did not go with my family. And so I, I, I didn't learn a lot about finances or anything. When I stepped in the church and started learning about finances, it was under a church that would preach these messages. And I remember hearing the message on Ananias and Sapphira and how, you know, God killed them because they didn't give everything. And I began to tithe. <laughs> From my paper route, yes, I did. Anyone else ever have, like, just had a show of hands, anyone else in this room ever have a moment where you're like, well, God will kill me if I, or, you know, I will be under, any, come on, let's just be honest. Anyone? All right. You would have thought I'd been asking about anyone here in sexual sin. You're like, no, I'm going to, no. Yep, we're going there this morning. The fact of the matter is, is that you know, with when this mixing happens between old covenant belief and new covenant belief, sometimes some really weird, funky, uh, odd teachings begin to infiltrate their way into the body of Christ. And when it comes to these, this issue of tithing, we have, as the universal body of Christ, let some really awful things settle into, into the function of the church. And before we get anywhere further in this uh, teaching this morning, I just felt the, the spirit on this this morning to, to, as a pastor and as a church leader, just apologize to you. 
for anyone who's been involved in a church where you felt manipulated to give, where you felt, where you felt judged by the amount that you gave, or where you felt less than because you, I don't know, weren't giving consistently, or whatever baggage or condemnation or judgment or diminishment or shame or anything any pastor at any time has ever made you feel for not giving God's portion back to him, can I just right now, as a pastor, stand in the gap for every single one of those people and tell you how incredibly sorry I am that the heart of God has been misrepresented to you? Can I say to you, just standing in the gap for every pastor, I don't know the motivation of every pastor who's ever said this, because I can tell you this, I, I, as a parent, I know that when I look at my parents, they only could give me what they were given. And so I don't believe that every pastor who's taught on this or taught principles that I'm going to illuminate, principles that I'm going to illuminate for you today, did so out of a malicious or a manipulative heart. Many of them were just giving back to you the teachings maybe that they, were, they received. But can I tell you that that doesn't mean it was healthy or right? Can I tell you that it doesn't necessarily mean it was the heart of God? There's a lot of teachings out there in the church that people are passing down that aren't the heart of God and people don't know it because it's what they've been taught and it's what they've been given and they're just trying to be faithful to that. But can I say to you this morning that from what we can see clearly in scripture, when we let go of some of the things that maybe have been overlaid over the top of our spirituality and simply approach the Bible for itself and the word of God for itself and the spirit of God for himself, we see something different. And so can I say, I don't know the motive of every pastor, but I know that I know that I know that those teachings are wrong. And so can I say to you, I'm sorry. And please, please allow yourself the grace as we walk through this this morning. If you have been hurt, if you have been manipulated, if you have been coerced into giving and it's put you in bad situations, please allow the Lord to gently speak to you in those places. And can I encourage you Make room for forgiveness for those people who have led you wrongly. Because here's the thing. I'm going to expose some stuff here today that, that will probably bring some light to some things. And it does not benefit any single one of us to hold on to bitterness or anger. Instead, what would be better is if we just recognize the freedom that God has given us, recognize the limitations or the wrong teachings, and let them go. And ask the Lord instead to meet us here and now in the new light and revelation that he gives us today. Does that sound good? Amen. Okay. So let's talk about tithing. I want to talk first in a positive aspect, okay? Because although the new, as new covenant believers, we are no longer under the obligation, and I'll explain why in a few minutes, of the 10% tithe, the principle that many of us maybe have grown up with about giving and about uh, setting aside portions of our money to give back to the Lord is a good spiritual discipline. 
So if, if some of you are here and you have operated in your life faithfully giving your 10% and, and, and as an act of love and worship to the Lord and spiritual discipline, please, please, please do not hear one word of disparity or, or condemnation or judgment towards you. Praise God for your faithfulness and your character that you've developed uh, from giving and your faithfulness in that. And if you do faithfully give, by all means, continue. <laughs> there are wonderful things that we learn uh, and that have been developed in, in people through that, that discipline of setting aside a portion of our finances each month for the Lord, each paycheck for the Lord, because essentially what that is building in us is faith. When it's a right heart, it builds in us faith. And so please do not hear any disparaging comments or, or, or condemnation or judgment. Um, I'm not here to confront that. I'm here instead to confront the manipulation and the burden and the yoke of slavery that sometimes this puts on people. And to give us instead a New Testament, New Covenant reality that we can then operate within. The sad thing is that tithing has often been used to beat up, manipulate, coerce, or control believers spiritually and financially for, honestly, for thousands of years. And the scripture that I shared from Malachi 3.8, the, you know, stealing from God or the Ananias and Sapphira, you're going to drop dead if you're dishonest about your finances or what you're giving. Those things have often been used out of way out of context to manipulate, to control. And honestly, if I can, if I can say this, I've been involved in nonprofit uh, work for the last 18 years. In fact, my entire time supporting my family has all been on the generosity and the giving that people have given, first and foremost in the nonprofit parachurch world, and then in the last six years, uh, when my six seven years when Susan and I moved here to to Medford, we were par part time on the staff, and we were gaining a little bit of salary from the church as well. And so, for the last eighteen years of my life, my family has been supported by generous giving, and so I don't disparage that at all. But I do want to say that. That there's a temptation within in the heart of those who then rely on that to try to to encourage strongly those to give. Because there is a lot at stake when you have given your life to something that relies on generosity for support. That being said, you're not stealing from God if you don't give your 10% to living waters. You are not stealing from God if you do not give a tithe to a local church. You are not in danger of God's curse or judgment or lightning from the sky if you are not giving a particular amount or a consistent amount to your local church body. You know, we're not the priesthood. We do not live in ancient Israel. We do not collect your tithes and offerings and then provide for the nation. We do not do that. 
we are not dependent on um, the functioning of, of the only temple for which to sacrifice and intermediate between God and man. This is not the case here. This is not a rapture shoot. We are not <laughs> you, your only access to the Lord. But the fact of the matter is, is that many of us carry baggage that we are carrying because we have, we have been, um, we have operated in a church system that has made us feel in this very um, insecure position with the Lord if we're not giving our portion. Let me read you a few things of how this might have played out in your life. If you don't pay your tithe, the Bible says you are robbing God and you're under a curse. This curse cannot be removed by your good works or the fact that you were born again. You can only reverse the curse if you start paying your tithe. Tithe is the only way and the only key to prosperity and God's blessing. The Bible is very clear about this and there is no way around it. You have to choose between being under God's curse or God's blessing abundant and uncountable. Those who don't pay tithe are robbing God because all income is from God and all God asks is 10%. How many of you heard that? <laughs> all he's asking is this little 10%, you selfish fool for not giving. You get 90, except uh, the government, so 50%. Uh, I mean, God is the giver of all. He just wants a little portion to take care of the men of God that serve you and help spread the gospel. Is this ringing true or ringing familiar for anybody in this room? Raise your hand high and proud. The curse of the Lord, it goes on. The curse of the Lord can be a number of things because if you're not tithing, you might find out where the curse is happening in your life. The curse of the Lord might be poverty or financial instability. You know, I once was told when my car broke down that it was because I wasn't tithing. I said, well, if I tithe, I can't pay the repair bill for the car. <laughs> and even though we sing about it, Jesus did not pay at all. I mean, is it just me? Sometimes the curse of not, of not uh, tithing could be in disease, failed marriages, childlessness. I've heard, I've heard all of this. Or just things not going very well in your life. And if your life is going nowhere and failure has become your middle name and you aren't getting your promotion and you're not getting your raise then paying the tithe can reverse it all. That was a, that was funny noise over there. It kind of like, that's how I felt on the inside. <gasps> it goes on, the curse of God means you can, you block God from blessing you and from God's blessing from reaching you because you're not tithing. How you worship truthfully does not matter. God says if you withhold tithes from him, you are cursed. When your business fails, when the promotion doesn't come, disease, misfortune, family problems, the curse of the Lord, paying the tithe can put an end to that. 
this kind of teaching, although not always as blatant or directed as that, it, it has it's found its way into the church. It's found its way into a lot of our hearts. You know, there's places that, of course, there's this image I almost thought about bringing it up for this morning because it, it but then I thought, nobody, no. Um, there's this image floating around the internet. It says the uh, Malachi 3 board, the non-tithers board from an old church. I don't know where it was. And it had a bulletin board in their hallway and it had the list of the names of the people in the church that weren't tithing that week. Fun. But there are churches who do this as evidence to that bulletin board. There are churches that that keep records of every tithe. There are churches and cults, rather, that ask you to sign over bank accounts or homes. I mean, let's just face some real facts. Money and the church have not been a happy place for the body of Christ for a long time. And, And a lot of this comes back to not only this misappropriated teaching on the tithe, but also the fact that money and greed and, and faithlessness and insecurity, they create this breeding ground of problem within the body of Christ. And when you're a pastor who's feeling insecure or when you're a pastor who's seeing the crunch of the numbers, it's real easy to go back to some of these teachings to manipulate your congregation so that they can take care of this thing rather than trust that God is good no matter what, right? So a couple of personal observations on, on this stuff and, and how it has settled in um, and, and operated within maybe some of our own lives. Um, I know that when I was growing up in the church and I didn't have really a lot of good conversations surrounding finances, um, when the topic of giving would come up, there would be this feeling of guilt or shame that began to permeate my heart. And it kind of, maybe you can find yourself in this. Do you get nervous when the tithe is brought up? When a pastor gets up to talk about finances, do you start feeling a little bit exposed or a little bit like anxious? When something bad happens, do you check to see if you forgot to pay your tithe? Do you stress whether your tithes should be over the net or the gross income? Whether you should tithe on a gift or a tax return or proceeds from a garage sale or birthday money, perhaps? Have you gone into, ne- into debt or neglected paying off debt in favor of paying your tithe? Have you put monthly finances on a credit card or an expenditure on a credit card because you could not miss your tithe? Have you neglected blessing members of your own family, doing something kind or good or or right for your spouse, for your children, because you had to pay the tithe? Have you seen someone struggling financially or otherwise and wondered if they haven't been paying their tithe? Have you given God your 10% faithfully but never invited him into the remaining 90? 
because you're good, because you didn't attend percent. I bring these things up just, if you found yourself twitching internally or feeling a little something catching in your spirit, then maybe you've been involved in environments that have been religiously polluted and teaching wrongly about finances. Now, for some of you in here, you're like, what is a tithe? God bless you <laughs> and keep you and may his face shine upon you and give you peace. And that's, and that's, that's okay, but if a pastor gets up to talk about finances, do you immediately have a pit in your stomach or feel like, why did we come to church this morning? Are you ready for to be manipulated? Are you ready to be guilted? If any of these things are true, then, then I'm going to say this right now. You've not been taught well on finances and on money in the church. And again, I just want to say that I'm sorry. Because there's, there is so few places that I feel like God has such opportunity to show his faithfulness and show the miraculous and expand our faith and our freedom than when we truly have a kingdom view of our finances. You know, we here at Living Waters, we do not believe in the tithe. In fact, for some of you that are new here, you know, we, Kim and I were talking this morning, it's been a little bit of a thing that people have come up to like, okay, where do we give? Because there's no offering. There's, do you notice we don't pass the buckets or pass the plates or pass, the plates are awful because then you can see what the person who was next to you gave. <laughs> and you're like, a five, really, you know? But it's been a thing here where a lot of the, since new people have been coming, like, you don't take an offering. We're like, no, we don't. And it's like, you can just see the tilt, 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 wait, how, what? You know, it's like, well, you can give when and how, okay. Uh, we'll talk about that. But, you know, there's there's been so much, there's been so much baggage with this issue that, that it's almost comical and almost providential that we have so many new people here that are asking, where do we, what do we do, how do we give? And it's been a question mark. If you have, if you are new here and you've been a little puzzled by this reality here at Living Waters, welcome to a new way of doing church. Welcome to a place where we're not going to strong arm you or manipulate you to cover our bottom line. That's not the heart of this place. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant belief system, the, the tithe was required to operate. In the New Covenant, we are set free from this. Jesus covered and fulfilled the Old Covenant. He inaugurated us into something new. This does not mean that we are not people that are, are not called to sacrificial, to generous giving, to all these things. But there's a new context for it. 
you know, so that you know this is not just a living waters thing. Before Susan and I moved here six years ago, we were a part of a church in Portland, Oregon, where we were living. And the church there also did not believe in the tithe. And they, they framed it this way. They talked about giving joyfully and giving sacrificially. That was their standard. And I remember this was the first time I'd ever heard anyone teach beyond kind of the old teaching on you must pay your 10%. And the pastor simply got up there and he said, how unkind of God would it be to require a blanket 10% for everybody? Because number one, what if you're a single mother with four kids? And what if you can barely feed those children? And now you believe you're under a curse from God because you're not giving the 10% that God requires to the church. That would, that would be a very unloving God that would look at your circumstance and say, you'd better get on board or you're robbing me. On the same time, he said the same thing. Now, in this church in Portland, Oregon, we had a lot of single people, a lot of wealthier, a lot of well-to-do, wealthy <laughs> You know, I have three kids, and we had a single income on a pastor salary for a long time. Wealthy is if you can buy coffee every day, you know? So anyway, but the example was, if you're a single man and you're making $70,000 per year, 10%, probably not that sacrificial compared to the single mom with four kids. So the standard was not the 10%. It was go before the Lord and ask him, where and what are you to give? But give joyfully, not out of compulsion, but give sacrificially. And as our framework began to change when we listened to this teaching, and it freed us profoundly to understand that God's heart is not about a rule, it's about generosity. Kingdom generosity. You know, generosity is a kingdom value. God has been very generous with us, with his grace, with his mercy, with his kindness to give his only son, to reconcile us to him. Generosity is an incredible kingdom value. And that's one of the reasons why, and I want to address this, because when we hear these wrong teachings on tithing and all the curse stuff, and you know, oh, the way to get out of it is start get out of the curses to start tithing. How many of you have heard people testify in church to say that they were financially struggling, that there were issues, and then they began to give and things turned around? How many of you ever heard that? Yes, it's true, because generosity is a kingdom principle. Not 10%. Not some rule or law that you're going to get struck down dead if you don't give, but generosity is a kingdom value. And when we live in generosity, God has given promises that he, that he has promised us of how these things return to us. You can see one of these examples in 2 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 6. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Hear that for a second. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Does it say 10%? Thank you, everybody. We're awake. It does not say 10%. It says what you have decided in your heart to give. 
not reluctantly or under compulsion, meaning not manipulative, not out of fear, not out of, out of pressure, but out of a decision in your heart between you and God, what you have decided to give, you should give. For God loves a cheerful giver. Now, any of you ever been cheerful giving your tithe? I just want to know. I have not. I'm just going, whenever it's been under compulsion or a rule, it's never cheerful for me. But when I have been, when the Lord has given me an opportunity to give to someone, put it on my heart to give to someone, it has been in varying amounts of money or sacrifice, but it's always been an incredible joy. Because when God puts it on our hearts to give and he determines the amount, it's a blessing and it's doable and it's life-giving. It's not burdensome. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Amen? And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seeds to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That is 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. Now, let me say this. This is not exclusive to money. So can I say that generosity does not include, it does not does not simply say money. And for some of you in this room, you're new to Living Waters, and we're talking about money, and, and eventually I'm going to say, and give. And you're going to be like, I don't want to. I'm like, okay. <laughs> some of you in this room, you are in a financial situation where to think about even giving $5 causes you incredible stress because you can barely make ends meet, or maybe you're not making ends meet. Can I tell you right now, do not give us money. If you are struggling to live, do not give us money. No, thank you. We don't want to be part of that. We don't want to be part of an extra burden on your life. Instead, look at the principle here of generosity that God calls us as new covenant believers to generosity. That you can give your time. You can give to children's ministry. Please give to children's ministry. You can give your attention. You can give your worship to God. You can give, there's so many things that we can give beyond finances. Can I tell you a quick story about how this principle plays out and how my wife almost killed me once? <laughs> this was a couple years back and, and I'll, t I'll tell you, that I grew up kind of poor, so giving money for years was very, very difficult for me. But I also grew up around people that were incredibly generous with their time and with their resources outside of their money. So giving things is super easy for me. Giving money is like, ah. But giving things that I have, resources that I have, time, energy, things that we own, no problem. Several years back, we had, there was a, a guy that was living here in Medford, and we were just moved here, and we found, I found out he didn't have a bed. So I get Mars. <laughs> Remember? 
and and Suze was like, what the? And I was like, hey, I needed a bed. And and we had a guest bed, so I thought, I'll just take the crappy old guest bed and put it in, you know, because why not? Because he needed a bed. We have a bed. Do I give him a bed? <laughs> give him our mattress. It's fine. Stemperpedic, you'll love it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something, and, and this is just something that you can't outgive God, number one. Number two, God loves generous. He loves a generous, joyful, and, and I was joyful for us. She wasn't. I was joyful for us. God loves a cheerful giver. And I'm also going to say this. I'm, I'm throwing you under the bus a little bit, but you're, you're just as willing to give everything and anything at all times as well. But this is just, and this doesn't happen every single time, but it's one example. So this was a Thursday where I gave our bed away. And then a friend showed up who we'd been ministering to and giving a lot just of our time and energy and attention for years. And he showed up. He's like, oh, I just wanted to give you a gift, so I ordered you the new purple mattress. It's arriving tomorrow. Do you know that I'd wanted a purple mattress for, like, the rest of my whole life? Because that commercial. <laughs> best commercial on earth. And it was like my answer to my prayer will be if I ever get this mattress and literally the same day that I gave away our bed, the Lord was giving us a much better bed that I'd wanted for years. And, and I don't say that as a principle to say, if you give, God will give you. But I'm, what I'm saying is generosity in a kingdom value, when we see scriptures like this, that if we sow generously, if we, if we sow generously, we'll reap generously. And it's, it doesn't come in a tit-for-tat sort of thing, like if I give $1,000, I'm going to get 2000 No, it doesn't work like that. But God is a generous God, and he loves a generous giver. And he also loves to entrust people with resources when he knows he'll be, they'll be faithful with those resources. And sometimes faithfulness looks like generosity. Amen? So I just want to address some of those, con those conversations that have been used to undergird the lie of like, well, to get out of the curse, you got to give the tithe. No, generosity is a kingdom principle. And although... You know, people may be operating or may have operated under kind of a compulsion based on a lie. The principle of generosity is still true. God still blesses and gives generously to those who give generously. But can I free you from any, any thought or conviction that it was because the tithe happened that things turned around? That's not why. But because generosity breeds generosity. Because God loves a cheerful giver, and God is a good father. Amen? You know, we at Living Waters, we love generosity. We want to be people of generosity. We want to be a house that disciples and cultivates disciples of Jesus that are generous. But we do not believe in the tithe. Now, when you leave here today, there's a handout that I want you all to take. Okay? Because Drew is not going to cover all the bases today. But this, I'm going to read this for you today, and I want you to grab it on your way out so that there is no doubt in your mind where we stand. This is titled, Why You Won't Often Hear Us Use the Word Tithe at Living Waters. You ready? You may have noticed we don't take an offering in our gatherings and we don't use the word tithe. Allow us to explain. 
Tithing, giving a percentage of your harvest to God, is biblical, is biblical in the Old Covenant. It was the basis of the monotheistic society that it, and existed in the place of t a taxation system. What is not biblical is to take Old Covenant culture, context, and law and teach it in a New Covenant reality, placing believers under pressure, expectation, obligation to give 10% of their income to the church to be godly, pleasing to God, or righteous. The apostles and early church leaders had many opportunities to teach new converts who believed in Jesus that he was the Messiah, that they should stop tithing to the temple system and tithe to them, and they never did. They never did. Instead, they taught a whole new way of handling finances with grace and generosity through God and to those around them as they formed a spirit-led community built on Jesus. Let us be clear, there is nothing wrong with the word tithe. For many of us, tithing has been part of our spiritual journey in faith in Christ. We do not desire to cast any doubt on how you've handled your finances before God. You have done well because giving to the Lord, whatever word you use, is about the heart to honor God and care for others and steward resources that he has given you. But there are two main reasons why you won't hear the, this word used or us use the word tithe. First, because it is a word that carries baggage due to poor teaching on the topic. Unfortunately for some, it is a word that has been used to hurt or capture them into religious performance, leaving them spiritually manipulated or wounded. Misunderstanding and misapplication of Old Testament scripture can confuse and wound us by placing us under performance law rather than teaching us a better way to steward our freedom, including our finances. The second reason is the word tithe does not make sense to the average person who doesn't have a church background. Right? Because some of you are like, what the crap is tithe? A person new to faith in Jesus might understand the concept of giving, supporting a nonprofit cause, or crowdfunding because that type of thing is prevalent in our culture. So to invite people to come into a financial partnership with us through faithful, generous giving is intuitive for our society, and at the same time, tithing is a foreign word that is unnecessary for us to employ when talking about finances. Here's some of the good stuff. When you give a financial gift partnering with Living Waters faithfully through faithful and generous giving, you are making an offering to the Lord and it pleases Him. Not because you follow an Old Testament law or tradition or because you have a certain amount or percentage, but it is how you give freely and why you give in obedience to His leading to honor Him, to share what you have and help spread the good news of Jesus that enables us to confidently say, your giving has honored Him. Why does this matter to us? We don't want people giving to living waters out of compulsion, religious obligation, legalism, confusion, any of it. As a community, we would rather tighten our belts. We would rather tighten the budget. We would rather go without than unintentionally or intentionally manipulating people to give more than they can or more than God is asking them to. We would rather struggle financially than ever manipulate or spiritually wound a single person in this building. We want to be as honest as possible with our needs and our finances as a church and to trust the Lord to speak to the hearts 
and bring increase and lead us as a Christ-centered community of generosity. Our responsibility before God and goal for our finances given to this community is that they would be accountable, trackable, and reportable. And we want people to give that who give to see that we effectively empower believers, equip leaders, build up disciples, and spread the good news of Jesus and his kingdom while serving our city and our region. Before I continue on, I want to tell you about a few ways this operates here at Living Waters. Um, for some of you that have been around a long time, you know that I was on the team uh, on the paid staff for a while. I'm no longer a paid staff member of this church. Uh, back in 2020, I stepped out of that role just because 2020. And um, as many of you know, I also run a nonprofit organization and I travel country and I speak. So a lot of things became a little bit unbalanced. So instead of pay drawing a paycheck and being on staff, I am now volunteering on the team. And I have a new role that I'm stepping into this year, which is the lead of our financial council and a liaison between the financial council and our team. Now, I haven't fully stepped into that yet, as the council will tell you. I've been to one meeting. Um, but that's my role here. So I want you to know, as the person speaking about giving to Living Waters, I don't draw a paycheck. I don't have any financial benefit to compel you or to ask you to give to this church. I receive as much money from this church as you do. Which makes it really freeing and awesome for me to be able to come up here and talk about this. Not only that, but we have a financial council that exists not only to help make sure that we're accountable, to make sure that we are handling our finances well, to make sure that we are representing it well, but also speak into where those things happen so that one person is not walking around going, here's my vision and dream for your money. No, we have a council that challenges one another and submits to one another. And when a staff, when the staff brings their proposals about the budget, they bring their perspective and they say yes or no. And they like, we pray about, we do a lot of things. And so if you're on the council and you're here this morning, can I ask you please just to stand real quick and I'm gonna read the names of the people on the council. Yes, I know, do it. I see you, I know who you are. Please stand. Those are three of the individuals on the council. That was Jarek Murray, that was Summer Burry, and that was Dennis Browning. There's also Tess Faust, there's Tom Boyles, Tanner Farrington, Deanne Sickler, and Alyssa Curlinger, and myself. We are the financial council of this church. We make sure that the money that's given into this are actually going to the things we say they're going to, and that they go to the kingdom purposes that this house sets out to do. Please know that at any time, if you're a part of this congregation and you have a question, come find me and I will, we'll make an appointment. I will sit down and tell you everything you need to know about the finance of this church because we are not hiding one thing from this congregation. That sound good? All right. I don't know how much time I, Kim, I don't have any time. Crap. I, well, I'm taking a few minutes. Please pick this up and read the rest because it's the good stuff is at the bottom. Um, I'll just do bullet points. Here's some of the reasons why we ask you to give to this ministry because we need your partnership. Because although we are not good, we do not have the authority 
to say to you or to have any right or spiritual authority to tell you that you owe us one cent, we don't. However, we get to invite you into investment into the kingdom work that God is doing here. We get to invite you freely and wonderfully to either choose to give or not whatever the Lord puts on your heart to give. And because of that, we believe that God is honored. We believe that God then blesses this valley and this church and beyond because of it. We see miraculous things happen when we partner together in finances. And we get to see God do some incredible things to heal hearts and to spread his gospel. If you want to financially partner with us, which I encourage you to consider doing. There are many ways that you can do it. You can do that in person. There are these black boxes on the back wall. You can drop an offering in there. You can text to give. I think there's a graphic, maybe, if anyone's listening in the back production room. Kim, what is it that they text to give? Do you remember the number? You can text 84321 and give any amount at any time, or you can go online to our website and you can give there. We have methods of giving to this house, and we have need to give to this house because we do a lot to advance the kingdom and to, to support this church. However, it's between you and the Lord. We, aren't, we are not going to chase anyone down and say, you haven't given in a while. Why not? Do you not like us? No. We trust that one of the, this is how I'm going to end, and then you please pick this up and read it because I did not get everything I needed to get done. We believe that teaching you to steward your freedom rather than trying to control you is ultimately a much better kingdom way of operating. And I just want to give you back any freedom that you had. If, as a member of the church, you're not obligated to tithe to us. You were invited to financially partner with what God is doing, and we would love that. But we trust the Lord in you and the work he's doing to help you learn how to maturely steward your freedom, and that includes finances. Amen? Amen? Has this been probably one of the better messages on finances you've heard in church? Let me pray, and then we will, I will dismiss you. Jesus, help us all with our finances. Uh, Lord, I pray first and foremost that you will bless, you will bless this house and all in it not only to be people of generosity, of kingdom generosity, but Father God, that you will bless us with freedom and you will bless us with healing if we have been wounded by these issues in the past. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, right now, for once and for all and forever, I break off any condemnation or shame that has been placed on any man or woman in this house because of finances in the kingdom of God. And right now, Father, we just declare to you that we believe in your ability to lead not only each person here in their freedom, but also this house. And we trust you with our resources and we trust you with the provision of those resources. So Father, thank you for being a good God and thank you for freeing us from the yoke of slavery. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.